So first of all, uh, are we really doing this is the question. And uh, yeah, we're really doing this. And uh, people often ask me, you know, how in the world did you ever get started in this? And then why? Why take on this topic? So let me give you a little bit of uh, how I got started in this. My uh, father was in the Navy for 20 years. So I was uh, what's considered a Navy brat. And as you know, if, uh, people who serve in the armed forces, sometimes they're gone for weeks, if not months at a time. So when my father would come home, I'd see his car in the driveway. I'd always run home to greet him. And I was about seven years old, ran home to greet him because I saw that uh, Mercury Monterey convertible and went in. And I could see that he and my mom were in a very intense discussion. And even as a seven-year-old, I knew something's not right. I could tell by the body language, something's not right here. And uh, eventually, my mom looked over at me and said, son, your father saw a UFO. And I was excited about this. You know, I was watching Scooby-Doo every Saturday and building <laughs> Godzilla monster models. I was, like, really excited, you know. But I could tell this was a topic not to talk about. Just don't, don't go there. Even as a seven-year-old, I could pick up on that. We never talked about it. My dad's anti-science fiction. Wants nothing, you know, he, he'll, he will never watch Star Wars. I mean, he's just, it's not him. So years go by. In fact, it was in 2020. Uh, my dad, my dad lives here in Fountain Hills. Uh, he's 85, and we were over at Denny's in 2020. We were single-handedly trying to re-stimulate the American economy uh, during COVID, when everything was shut down. Denny's was open. It's like, well, let's show our support. God bless America. You know, let's get this nation going. And so um, we were over there, and I said, Dad, you know, I'm thinking about writing a book on UFOs. And I said, Do you remember? that moment and he said absolutely I remember it and he began to unpack his story his you know witnessing a UFO which he described as being like a flying tractor trailer in the sky and there's more details uh, that's actually in my book some so before I forget all proceeds by the way these are twenty dollars all proceeds I'm very proud to say help me keep gas in my truck <laughs> all right it, very proud to say that it seems to prefer 89 octane so help a brother out. All right, uh, great Christmas, great you know, stuffing stockers right here. So um, I told my dad, hey, I'm uh, writing this book on UFOs. Do you, do you remember? And he said, yes, I, I do indeed remember. So we unpacked that and talked about it. Um, he wasn't a born-again Christian at the time. Now, I've been living here since 1992. Uh, anybody been here longer than 1992? Okay, wow, quite a few. God bless you guys. All right. So in 1997, there was a very famous event that took place in Phoenix, and it's second only to Roswell in UFO lore, and it was called the Phoenix Lights Incident, okay? Anybody actually see that, brave enough to raise your, okay, a handful, see, look at the hands around. So the, the Phoenix Lights Incident took place in March of 1997, and it was a V-shaped formation of lights that was flying from uh, north to south, and then there was a second formation of lights over the South Mountain. Now, in the past, most UFO sightings were, they took place in these rural areas, you know, out in the swamps of Louisiana, I mean, just very rural areas, and typically there are maybe two, maybe three witnesses, oh, but this was a game changer. This took place over the sixth largest metropolitan area in the United States. And whereas in the past, photographs were often blurry and shaky, there were lots of photographs this time. Tens of thousands of people witnessed this event. And this time, the, the video footage was very crystal clear. 
And people were beginning to ask me, well, Bobby, what is this? You know, how, do, how does this affect Christianity? Does this nullify Christianity? What does it mean if extraterrestrial life you know, exists out there? How, how does that affect the gospel? And so those were really the, kind of the two things that were the catalyst. So I've been wanting to approach it really from an apologetics kind of standpoint you know, to, to provide an answer. Let, let me tell you why just real briefly. In 1859, when Origin of Species was published by Charles Darwin, the Christian community, and very understandably so, scoffed at it. It's like, oh, yeah, we came from monkeys. No one will ever believe that. That's ridiculous. And it is. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but today it's taught as fact, isn't it? From kindergarten to Ph.D., it's taught as fact. See, it, the culture had a fascination in this, even though the church didn't. And, again, understandably so. The exact same thing's happening with the UFO phenomenon. Right? The culture is interested in this topic, and the church, by, and understandably so to some degree, has ignored it. And so that's kind of the how you know, I kind of got into it and what you know, I'm hoping to accomplish. And so uh, I appreciate you all being here tonight. So let me give you, I just got five points, and then we're going to take some uh, Q&A actually as well. So let me just kind of jump into it. The first point really is just simply, number one, is that UFOs have gone mainstream. Uh, this is a mainstream topic now. It, you know, just 50 years ago, yeah, um, yeah, UFOs have gone mainstream. Okay, so um, thank you, Pastor Rick, for the awesome graphics uh, behind me. Uh, anyways, uh, they've gone mainstream. Now, what I mean by that is 50 years ago, this was a topic that was relegated to uh, science fiction novels and pulp fiction, right? Not anymore. Today, NASA is spending billions of dollars in an effort to make contact with extraterrestrial life. I mean, the idea is that we need to make contact with them before the Russians do, all right? Uh, So, I mean, there's an organization called SETI. It's now privately funded. Billions of dollars. The world's largest radio telescope was constructed in Puerto Rico for this very purpose of, hey, we need to get in touch with these things before anyone else does. So you can always follow the money trail, okay? So billions of dollars are going into this, all right? A fair taxpayer money, by the way. What's going on? Will this provide the answer to life? Will this give us purpose in life? Now, for a season of my life from the early 2000s through about 2014, 15, I was doing a lot of international mission trips, a lot, uh, from the Himalayas to the Andes Mountains, and uh, mostly church planting type of trips. And in fact, you know, I went to Argentina over 18 times to give you an idea. So I kind of became, I'm going to say, somewhat of an expert in international travel. And uh, I was wanting to stay on top of my game. And I was always trying to learn more, trying to pick up any tidbits. One of the shows I, uh, my wife and I would regularly watch would be the Travel Channel. Okay, so the Travel Channel is once known for, well, travel. And it would have hosts like Samantha Brown and Andrew Zimmer and the late Anthony Bourdain, if you happen to know any of those. And it was all about travel. But around 2016 to 2017, I noticed there was a huge culture shift that it was all about ghosts, most haunted hospitals, Bigfoot, and UFOs. Uh, Likewise, on the History Channel, and I think we've got another slide here coming up. I don't know if you've ever seen the History Channel. yeah, God bless this guy. He thinks everything's aliens. Anything that's unexplainable, it's got to be aliens. All right? you know, any structure, anything, it's all about aliens. Well, their second longest running show with the best ratings is called Ancient Aliens. Only Pawn Stars has been on longer and has higher ratings. You see, it's all about sponsorship. 
So I'm a NASCAR guy. Racers, they got to have sponsors. Guess what? These television programs, they need sponsors. That's why we have commercials. And you want your product to be seen, right? Hey, if I'm spending a lot of money, I want my product to be seen out there by as many people as possible. This is why these shows are on. This is why they've been doing so well. It's because there's been a culture shift. 61% of Americans believe in the existence of extraterrestrial life. I think you'd be surprised, even if you're in your own Bible studies, if you asked a question, have any of you ever seen a UFO? You might be surprised at how many hands would go up. Now, here's the huge culture shift. Is that This came out in uh, <clears throat> July 23rd, 2020. The U.S. government actually acknowledged that they are in possession of off-world vehicles. So let me read this quote to you. Um, they just matter-of-factly said, we are in possession, listen carefully, of off-world vehicles not made of this earth of an undetermined origin. Okay, so <clears throat> we'll get to Jimmy Carter in a little bit. Well, see, Jimmy Carter, he believes in UFOs too. Kind of, let me go back to that slide real quick, if you don't mind, on Jimmy Carter. <clears throat> this is part of it being mainstream. You can kind of almost hear him saying that, can't you? I'm uh, convinced that UFOs exist because of seeing one myself. Um, I mean, you, you can... I mean, it's just simply, it's, it's going mainstream. But back to this main quote, we're in possession of off-world vehicles not made of this earth of undetermined origin. Like, wait a minute, what? Let me read that again. We, say what? And what I'm uh, confused by is why didn't this make mainstream news? Now, have you ever noticed like our news is gets, picks one topic and focuses on it for like a, a year? Remember collusion? It's like, like 2017, that's all we talked about. I said, there's got to be more going on in the world Besides this, right? There's, surely there's got to be other topics. But I think perhaps because it was COVID year, perhaps because of all the riots, somehow this became like page nine kind of news. But here's the culture shift. It's back when Project Blue Book was done. Their goal was to be dismissive of UFOs. Oh, and now they're coming out and saying, hey, we're actually in possession of off-world vehicles. Wow. I mean, that, that's like a jaw dropper. One of the guys I got to meet while I was researching this book was called Nick Pope. I don't know if you've ever heard of him before. <clears throat> and he, uh, is in, uh, he lives like half the year down in Tucson. And actually, Michael Whitchurch was with me. He's here tonight. We went down there and met with him. And <clears throat> he explained that they began to come up with the term uh, unidentified aerial phenomenon because it seemed more palatable than UFOs because UFOs kind of has a bit of a stigma to it. And he goes, so we're... We're going to call it two things. Notice he, he said that we're going to use the word phenomenon because some of these things we're not sure if they're actually tangible or not. Now, before I continue, I want to give you a few disclaimers so that way you don't have to send me emails or you know, corner me after uh, tonight's message. But <clears throat> note the letter U in unidentified right, and unexplained. N note that letter. Okay, That's very important. Because some instantly ascribe anything unidentified as being extraterrestrial. So I, I don't want to take just a minute or two to let you know we, we want to be careful we don't go there. All right? So one example would be the B-2 stealth bomber. It was unveiled in 1997, but its first flight was in 1989. It's believed that the first concept prototype was actually flown in 1975. Okay. Imagine what they're working on right now. Okay, so there are what I'm going to call EFOs, experimental flying objects. Not every government is friendly to the United States. 
And so great secrecy does have to be in place. I'm glad there are, you know, parameters in place to protect our military secrets. But imagine what they're exploring with now. If the stealth bomber, if the first prototype was 1975, could you imagine seeing that black triangle fly through the skies somewhere in the southwest in the late 70s, early 80s? That's unlike anything we've ever seen before. So I do want to make that point. Uh, secondly, there are intentional hoaxes. All right, so have you ever heard of alien autopsy? Okay, so it came out in 1995. It was called Autopsy Factor Fiction. It was hosted by Jonathan Frakes of uh, Star Trek Next Generation. He was number one and seeming to give it some credibility. What you may not know and what you don't hear is that in 2006, both the producer and the special effects artist admitted that it was a staged reproduction. Okay, they came forward and said, yeah, it was a staged reproduction. Uh, we reproduced what we think was real. Okay, but see, that was 2006, and it came out in 1995. So the truth is out there. Sometimes it takes about a decade or two for that truth to come out there. Sometimes there's some very natural explanations. There's also what I'm going to call close encounter wannabes. There's some people who, again, kind of like the guy from History Channel, anything and everything unexplainable, they instantly ascribe to, oh, that must be extra terrestrial. So that's a little bit of a background. Uh, one more just to prove that it's gone mainstream. Uh, even back in the 70s, Gerald Ford said, I think there may be something of substance to these UFO reports in the firm belief that the American public deserves a better explanation than that thus given so far by the Air Force. So I want to acknowledge there's experimental flying objects, there's hoaxers, and there are close encounter wannabes but then there's a very significant percentage that simply doesn't fit into any of those categories. And that's what we're going to talk about for the rest of the evening. And I believe it's the result of the forces of darkness. And let me tell you why. Um, close encounters are bad for your health. All right, close encounters are bad for your health. Um, I briefly worked with the actor Stephen Baldwin. I don't know if you know him uh, from such famous... Movies such as uh, Flintstones, Go to Las Vegas, Biodome. Yeah, um, we were trying to start an ex extreme sports ministry. It didn't work out. But during that time, I met a lot of people that I normally wouldn't have, like screenwriters and producers. And it was in a season, you know, uh, again, I was having these conversations that were way outside of my wheelhouse. And I heard something that just stuck with me. And it was a screenwriter. And this is what he said. He said, characters are defined by their actions, not what they look like, nor what they believe. Characters are defined by their actions. It's like, man, that'll preach. <laughs> Characters are, no matter what you profess to believe, no matter how you dress or how you appear or what you say, no, character, oh, that's defined by their action. And what I want to tell you is that close encounters are very bad for your health, Especially if you're a cow. <laughs> Especially if you're a cow. The animal mutilation phenomenon is for real. Again, if you ever watch any alien-type shows or documentaries, you're, sooner or later you're going to come across a woman named Linda Moulton Howe. All right? Now, she's an award-winning journalist, by the way. Now, she cut her chops, so to speak, doing field investigation. That's how you, know, you start off as an intern. Okay, you send out to the field first-hand report. I don't need you to go to the scene of the crime. Well, hers happened to be cattle mutilations. And she couldn't come to any resolve. 
yeah, there's a lot of theories, a lot of theories out there, but there was no resolve. Now, it got into her, and she ended up doing, I'm glad you're sitting down, she ended up doing over 1,000 case studies specifically on cattle mutilations. She's not a believer. Her conclusion was this has to be the work of extraterrestrials. That's her concluding thought. Now, here's what a cattle mutilation is. Cows seemingly fine the day before. The next day, it's discovered dead. Its blood has mostly been drained from it, and its sexual reproduction organs are always taken. It appears someone's trying to figure out how to create life. The sexual reproduction, you know, those organs are always taken. The blood is always taken, and cattle blood is very similar to the hemoglobin of humans. It's very, very close. Someone's trying to figure out how to create life. I can tell you who it is. It's the devil. The devil wants to be worshipped, right? And God is one who creates life, right? He wants that ability to create life and to create beings that perhaps do not have a soul, and thus they don't need Jesus. He wants to create beings that do not need a savior, but see him as their creator. A lot of theories have been put forth. People say, oh, well, it's probably some satanic cult. Oh, well, it's the work of some gang initiation, right? Those are very plausible theories. But guess what? No one's ever prosecuted. No one's ever prosecuted. In fact, the Cattlemen's Association of Colorado has put out nearly a half-million-dollar reward to find who's doing this. That they can get information that would lead to the prosecution, arrest and prosecution of whoever's doing this, they're like, there's a half-million-dollar reward. See, here's the deal. Loss of a cattle, four or $5,000, this is not chump change. Okay? It is a real, no one's ever prosecuted. It keeps happening over and over. It's bad for your livestock, but it's also bad for humans. People who are abducted describe it as being against their will. These are traumatic experiences. You are not taking a tour through the rings of Saturn in a spaceship. No, you're being traumatized. Uh, you're going to experience nightmares for perhaps the rest of your life. These are not good experiences. So um, I was able also, Mike was with me. We got to go up to Snowflake, Arizona to meet Travis Walton. <clears throat> now, Travis Lawton, Walton is sort of famous in UFO lore. 1975, he was just a part of a logging crew right outside of uh, Snowflake, Arizona. They're on their way home. They're in a truck with a cab. It's six guys. They see a light in the sky. At first, they're thinking, hey, is someone camping, or what is that? Or is it a crash plane? What's going on? And so the truck comes to a stop, and his curiosity gets the best of him, and Travis Walton gets out of the truck. He begins to approach the, the, the craft. He says, well, we saw a craft at Treeline, and I interviewed him. I have this somewhere on YouTube. And he gets struck by a beam of light. The truckers freak out. Okay, the rest of the loggers, they get back in the truck. They're running for their life. They're only gone about a fourth of a mile when they realize, oh, my goodness, we can't leave Travis back there. we got to go back. So they make a U-turn, they go back, and he's gone. He ends up being missing for five days to the point where the other loggers become suspect of foul play. It's interesting. Um, Travis described this as being a horrific experience. He said, I regularly felt like I was suffocating. 
And he said one of the, the more unusual things about it, he says he actually reached out and touched them. And he said to him it felt like they were made out of like, it was like a, touching a balloon or some type of inflatable object. He said he was traumatized. Uh, he ended up writing a book, which became a movie called Fire in the Sky. Some of you may have seen that. And so he said that was his form of therapy. Uh, he said he was blessed to have a very supporting family. And by the way, Snowflake was a very, uh, it's more of a Mormon town in 1975. You don't really talk about UFOs, 1975, in a small logging town, right? So he began to write uh, about his story. I asked him at the very, by the way, we got to uh, pray for him at the very end. Uh, I got to uh, share the gospel with him, and he is not, um, he, is, he is a very reluctant UFO celebrity, incredibly introverted, painfully shy, in fact, uh, when we were writing out, he wanted to show us. Uh, he, he was incredibly gracious, very gracious. He, when he took us out to the abduction site, I asked for permission. I said, hey, would it be okay if I ride with you? And it took about 30 minutes for him to somewhat, you know, warm up to me a little bit. And then we started talking about his encounter. And he uh, described it as horrific. Uh, one of the questions I asked him, I said, you know, Travis, if you had to do it all over again, if, would you, is there anything you would do differently? He said, Bobby, I would have never gotten out of the truck. I would have never gotten out of the truck. It's interesting. Also, people who are abducted, um, you've probably heard maybe of uh, Betty and Barney Hill, but others. Um, Once again, um, we're all adults here. They do experiments on human reproduction. Okay? That's something that's always happening. Right? They're, they're very fascinated in how do humans reproduce. Okay? It's, like a, they, you know, it's, an, it's a very perverted obsession they have. Again, it kind of goes back to my belief, my opinion, is they're trying to figure out how do we create biological life like God does. But one guy named Shane Hurd of MUFON, Arizona, uh, reached out to him and um, uh, did an interview with him. As I was interviewing him, I, he, he explained, he goes, oh, Bob, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm kind of the wrong guy for you. I only do like the nuts and bolts type of interviews, you know. Uh, that's kind of my field department where I go out and do that type of research. He says, well, we have an entire spiritual department. That's who you should talk to. I said, well, tell me like, like one of the weirdest cases. He goes, well, basically right now there's a woman who claims she was raped in one of these events, in one of these abductions. Here, here, my point is characters are defined by their actions. That's where I'm going at with this. These, these abductions are done against people's will. A guy named Whitley Stryber, who said he was abducted, he ended up being a horror writer, said, I felt an absolutely indescribable sense of menace. Negative side effects always accompany those who encounter what we call a close encounter of the fourth kind. Uh, people report uh, radiation sickness, nausea, nightmares, but here's the interesting one to me, unexplainable scratches and scars. People who wake up with unexplainable scratches and scars are often demonized. All right? um, in fact, um, we'll get to this in just a little bit, but a significant percentage, it's close to 20% of people who are abducted, have admitted to having some type of experience with the occult in the past. The occult is often a doorway for the forces of darkness to come into your life. It's like giving them your business card. Hey, here's where I live. That, that's kind of what happens. All right? So remember, character is defined by actions. 
when we look in the Bible, whenever someone's being demon-possessed, they're being destroyed. And there, there's a case where a guy's living out in a cemetery, and he's cutting himself. Another case, a guy, remember, he brings his father, brings his son to the disciples. To go, yeah, it's trying to drown him. It's trying to throw him into the fire. They're always being systematically destroyed. Paul, of course, described these unholy, non-human, intelligent beings as powers, thrones, dominions, and principalities in Ephesians 6, 12, and also Colossians 1, even warning us that they're not all benevolent. Therefore, you better put on the armor of God. Really fascinating, too, in, um, in early church history, what we call primitive church history. Uh, you know, some of it's cultural, but one of the reasons women wore head coverings was because you don't want to attract the attention of these beings. Right? Uh, I briefly served as a, a singles pastor and you know, working with some of the female leaders. Like, yeah, if you dress that way, you're most certainly going to get a guy's attention, but it's not always going to be the right guy's attention. Okay, you're also going to attract some perverts. You're going to attract some guys with sexual addictions if you choose to dress that way. Apparently, the same thing happens in the spiritual realm. There's things that seem to attract them. So they've gone mainstream. Close encounters are bad for your health. Uh, third point here is they're from another dimension, not another planet. So Dr. John Mack, he's a Pulitzer Prize-winning uh, author and professor of psychiatry, and he examined uh, just under 100 cases. Now, it's important for you to know when I say 100 cases, just under, this isn't like just having coffee for 30 minutes. Okay? This, rather, is like case studies in this field can be 12 hours, all right? 10, 20, 30 hours. I mean, that's what a case study is. So approximately 100. And he came to this conclusion. He says, UFOs seem to partake of properties belonging to both the spirit and material worlds, bridging as if effortlessly the division between these two realms. And so that's what I want to propose to you tonight. These beings are not from another planet or galaxy. They're from another dimension, the spiritual dimension. This is the dimension Paul is talking about. You better put on your armor of God because there's these principalities, there's these powers. You cannot see them, but they are there. And this is very well attested to in the Scriptures. In 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha has found himself, he has a ministry assistant, he's in a, quite a predicament. He's basically surrounded by Hamas and Hezbollah. I mean, this is a bad situation. This is not good. Okay, this is two Jews surrounded by Hezbollah, not good. His ministry assistant is freaking out, understandably so. Now, Elisha prays, God, will you please just open up his eyes, let him see into the spiritual realm. And do you remember what happens? His eyes are open, and what happens? He sees chariots of fire. He sees the army of God, right? It's recorded for you right there in your Bibles in 2 Kings 6. Here's what I'm saying to you. They were there the whole time, but imperceivable to the human eye without special revelation, okay? Without God granting them insight, they were there the whole time. Same thing with the Christmas story. In my opinion, Christmas story, hey, we're going to be celebrating Christmas here in just a few weeks. Um, and there were shepherds in the same region keeping watch over their flocks by night. You all know it. You've heard it hundreds of times, right? Keeping watch over their flocks by night. And suddenly, you know, an angel of the Lord appeared unto them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were so afraid. And the angel said, fear not. Kind of angels are always saying, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For unto you is born a Savior, the city of David. A Savior has been born, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swelling clothes, lying in a manger. 
and suddenly, right? Catch that. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. My opinion. Okay, so the Bible's here. Step over here. My opinion, they were there the whole time. Okay, it's just they were not manifest until after this pronouncement had been made with the pertinent details. Here's where you can find a Messiah. And notice they have vocal cords, right, that they can communicate, they can sing, they can praise, they can make announcements, right, they can speak, all right? But they were there seemingly the whole time. I think this is what's happening with the fallen angels, okay? They're in the cosmos already. They're in this other heaven, if you will, this other dimension, all right? It's just they tend to manifest themselves when they choose to. It's really crazy because we can track a satellite, we can track you know, asteroids that are supposed to come near in 2029. We can track comets. Uh, we, we can track all kinds of things. UFOs can't really track. They, they appear and disappear at will. And yet you can track them. They'll show up on radars briefly. Right? They can manifest to some degree where they can be tracked, but it's always on their schedule. Um, they, it's like the Cheshire cat from Alice in Wonderland. They appear and then they're gone. They manifest, and they're gone. You know, it's, if you remove the spaceship factor, it's a lot like a haunted house. They're able to go through walls. They're able to change shape, size, and color. Right? They're able to communicate. They're able to move physical objects. They're even to leave physical impressions upon people and in the earth. In my opinion, these are fallen angels, evil spirits. Okay? This is what's happening. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. Let me give you one more example of the reality of angels and how they can affect the physical world. It's in Acts chapter 12, if, you want, if you're taking notes, Acts 12, verses 6 through 17. We actually have a holy abduction. Okay? Read it tonight before you go to bed. Acts 12, 6 through 17. Peter's in jail, awaiting trial. All right? So this is Acts 12. You know, James is killed, right? The first martyr, if you will. Oh, well, you know. Stephen as well, but anyways, it's, it's, things are getting intense, okay, so Stephen, Jamie, it's, it's ratcheting up, right, so Peter has found himself in jail, but do you remember what happens? Well, interestingly, it's a jailbreak is what happens. Yeah, an angel breaks Peter out of jail, read it. Shackles come off, cell doors are opened, while everyone else is asleep. This is a lot like an abduction encounter goes down the hallway, and it's not until he's in the street and the angel disappears where he realizes, oh my goodness, this isn't a dream or vision, this is reality, right? So make note of that. An angel opens up a cell door, shackles are removed, and he makes his exit. So there's a case of a holy abduction encounter, if you will, because God still had a plan for Peter. Uh, He has a plan for the church, but I believe fallen angels retain some of these capabilities, I believe fallen angels, they retain these capabilities as well. They can move physical objects. Uh, they can affect the real world. And this is what's happening. So what's their purpose and agenda? So we've seen that they're mainstream, that close encounters are bad for your health, especially if you're a cow, that they're interdimensional. And I, I feel pretty solid. I could be wrong, but I, I believe they're interdimensional, not intergalactic. Okay. Fourth point would be they're wolves in extraterrestrial clothing. All right. Aliens do not point people to Jesus. 
So far, if you know of one, please let me know. So far, there's no record of any alien saying, Greetings in the name of the Lord. <laughs> greet the saints of Vulcan. No, no, that's, we, greet, we bring you greetings in the name of the Lord. No, that's not happening. It's not happening. Uh, let me read to you from 1 John 4, 1 through 3. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Man, is that true today? But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit, here's the Jesus test right here. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. If you should ever encounter one of these things, first of all, rebuke it in Jesus' name. All right? Who is Jesus? The answer I'm looking for is God. If they say anything other than that, oh, that's a false prophet. Hey, can I say that too with church? Hey, you're in a good place here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, there's a lot of number of great Bible-believing churches here in this town and surrounding communities. But if you ever move out of state and you're looking for a new church, find out what they have to say about Jesus. Answer we're looking for is God. All right? If they're saying anything else, great humanitarian, great leader, wrong answer. That's a red flag to you. All right? <clears throat> and he goes on to say, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming is now in the world today. Um, if you follow this UFO phenomenon long enough, if you follow this trail far enough, here's where it's going to take you, the occult. That's where this trail leads to, sooner or later. It may start off very scientific, but if you stay on this trail, if you go in this rabbit hole, sooner or longer, you're going to end up in the occult or some form of New Age, sooner or later. They do not point people to Jesus. The religion of extraterrestrials is basically it's just a bunch of New Age mumbo-jumbo. They claim to be our creator. They claim to be a cosmic savior, that they will provide the answers and the solutions to all the world's problems, and it's not going to happen. By contrast, you'll notice that holy angels, they always point people to Jesus. So here I go back to the Christmas story. Glory to God in the highest. Did you catch that? Glory to God in the highest. I always think, too, uh, it's kind of interesting. Revelation 22, at the very end, uh, John there in exile on the island of Patmos, uh, an angel appears to him, and John is overwhelmed, and he falls to his knees. And what does the holy angel say? Look, you need to get up or you're going to get both of us in trouble. All right, and I'm paraphrasing. But he says, look, you need to get up off your knees and worship God. Oh, now I know that's a holy angel. Two of the world's major religions claim they were founded by an angelic interaction. Quite possibly so. But if it was, it was not from a holy angel. It was not an angel of God. Can they pass the Jesus test? Here's what I want to know. Who do you say Jesus is? Answer we're looking for is God. If they're saying anything else, okay, I got you. I, I, I know where you're from. I know what you're doing. Church in Galatia is warned twice um, by the Apostle Paul. It's actually some pretty strong language. Paul says, look, even if we are an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. Wow, okay. I want you to insert, being true to the scripture here, but insert alien for angel here. But even if we are an alien from heaven, should preach a gospel to you other than one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. That's what Paul says. 
I think we can uh, agree that when you follow this trail, when you ask them, who is Jesus, they fail the Jesus test. And, we're, and what, here's what I've noticed about the forces of darkness is that there are missionaries, missionaries of evil. Now, here, here's what I mean. Uh, one of the more famous missionaries was a guy named Hudson Taylor. Now, in the past, most missionaries, they would go and they say, hey, we're going to teach you English so that you can learn the, you know, the King James Version of the Bible. Hudson Taylor had a different approach. He goes, I'm going to go, I'm going to learn Chinese, and I'm going to learn your food, I'm going to learn your culture for the sake of the gospel. Right? So he took on their attire, he began to eat their food, he spoke their language for the sake of the gospel. And even today, people still talk about Hudson Taylor. I think the forces of darkness, they're not dummies. They're doing the same thing. They're, they're appearing to people in a way that will make sense to them. Okay, you see what I'm saying? It's different bait for different fish. All right, that can be done for the gospel. It can be done for the forces of darkness. Uh, when I was doing some research on this, one of the things I came across was what's known as a Marian apparition. Have you ever heard of this before? Marian apparition. So it's uh, like in Lourdes and Fatima, Portugal, Lourdes, France, Fatima, Portugal, where people claim to see visions of Mary. And there's a lot of eyewitnesses, by the way. They're saying, hey, no, you go there, you will see Mary. Hey, we saw Mary. Oddly, though, they end up worshiping Mary rather than Jesus. So I feel like if it were the real Mary, she would say, hey, you need to worship my son. Right? I mean, just like the way the angel did, you know, with John. Hey, look, you need to get you need to, glory to God. I feel like if it were the real Mary, but see... Different bait for different fish. So for some people, that bait of an alien says that we must believe it. So it's kind of like what I'm going to call catfishing. Um, <clears throat> so I know we got some singles here tonight. They might tell you more than I know. Uh, but the online dating world, there's a term called catfishing. Uh, MTV even has, I think, uh, an entire show program devoted to this. So what is catfishing? What's well, a term used to describe those who create a very attractive false identity on social media that doesn't really exist <clears throat> for relationships or other purposes. <clears throat> Excuse me. By using a more attractive photo and a more interesting biographical data, catfish lure people into an online relationship on the premise of being someone they're not. That's what catfishing is in the social media dating world. Hopefully none of you have been victims. You can see Pastor Rick afterwards if you have he and Cheryl can help you with that. There's a 12-step recovery program. Um, you know, I know y'all been going through the end times, and I applaud y'all for doing that. If I could pick one word to describe the end times, one word we would have to include would be deception. Right? If you had to pick one, I mean, there's others, but that would have to be in the conversation. It'll be a time described as being deceitful false prophets, false teachers, false Christs, right? They're coming. Um, Kenneth Arnold is a guy who's credited with unwittingly creating the term flying saucer. And he saw, he was flying over Mount Rainier, Washington. He said he saw some um, saucers, looked like they were skipping over water. And so that term was invented. And he was doing an interview, a radio interview, and a Texas preacher called in and he described these UFOs as being harbingers of doomsday. You know what? Maybe that Texas preacher was right. Uh, maybe it is a sign as well. Um, I think I'm running out of time here, so let me get to... Well, I've got two points I want to make. Um, 
One is, in, in regards to deception, let me encourage you to read The Last Battle by C.S. Lewis. So you've heard of the Chronicles of Narnia, right? Uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. My favorite is the seventh and final book. It's called uh, The Last Battle. And in this book, uh, there's this, you know, untrustworthy, kind of shady character known as Shift. He's an ape, and he finds a lion skin at a waterfall. He convinces this not-so-smart donkey to wear it and to pretend that you're Aslan, the lion, the metaphor for Jesus. And the idea was, like, no one's heard from Aslan in so long. Millennia have gone by. Does he even really exist? Maybe we misunderstood the prophecies. Here's what we can do. You wear this lion skin at night in dark. I'll be your spokesperson, <clears throat> and we'll be rich and powerful. It's like, wow, that's, that's the end times, right? That's the false prophet and antichrist, right? But really, it's just a donkey. <clears throat> and they're appearing to be something they're really not. So let me give you the last point here, and we'll close and... Uh, we'll take just a few questions if you want to stick around. Last point, and perhaps most important, is Jesus alone saves earthlings. All right. If intelligent biological beings do indeed exist, God's their creator too. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But here's what I know about us humans. We need Jesus. Humans have been created in God's image. Male and female, he created them. Right? Adam and Eve were created in God's image. We have that distinction over any other creature, right? Unlike any other creature, we've been created in his image, and we're meant to be like these mirrors that reflect God and his ways, and we've been separated from God because of sin. It's like a virus. It's a real deal virus. We've all been infected by it. The only remedy for it is Jesus. Okay. Uh, I love John 14. You know, Jesus is on his way to the cross in Jerusalem, right? And at this point, we think three years have gone by, and you can begin to read people's body language. You know what I mean? That they know something's up. And Jesus begins this address. Uh, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house. I'm going to prepare a place for you. My Father's house, there's many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you can be also. And you know the way I'm going. And God bless him. Thomas interrupts the conversation. I think Thomas was thinking, oh, no, it's another riddle. It's another parable. Oh, no. He says, Lord, we don't know the way. What are you talking about? And Jesus says, oh, you've got to go through this class. Nope. He says, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, it's through a person, not through a religion, not through a bunch of do's and don'ts. So it's not, see, it's through me, all right? So we need Jesus, regardless of if Vulcans and Romulans and et cetera should exist. That's a whole other category, but... You're still going to have issues at work. You're still going to have issues in your marriage. I mean, if a UFO were to land today at the fountain, or if a UFO were to land, a spaceship were to land tonight on the White House lawn, and the creature came out and said, take me to your leader, yeah, I'd probably have to say, you know, now's not such a good time. Um, maybe, I don't know. Um, not a good time right now. Uh, if it were verifies my points where I'm going. You're still going to have issues with your kids. People are still going to have addictions. Right? Uh, there's still going to be politics at work. Right? Now, see, and bottom line is they're not going to, they wouldn't solve the world's problems because you and I, our problem is sin. That's what separates us from God. And this is why Jesus came. So um, 
Yeah, let me close with that, in fact, and then I'll have Rick come up. What I do want to do, though, is give you an opportunity to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And so if you've never done so, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. Um, the Scriptures tell us, Romans 10, 13, that whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. So maybe you've never really thought about that before. And so I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to ask you to do something a little different. It's just pray out loud. Just repeat after me, just because I don't like for people to feel like they're all alone when they're doing this. And so... If you're already born again, it's kind of like maybe kind of like a liturgical thing, all right? And so, uh, so let's, let's pray. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you're the Christ. Please forgive me for my sins. Save my soul. And fill me with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, I don't know if we have any more time, but I'll turn it over to Pastor Rick, and we'll play by ear. Thanks, guys, for being here. It's been a pleasure to hang out with you.